Well, this is, uh, it is fun and special that we can, we can see each other and be together. And um, I'm glad it was sunny because Friday it was raining buckets and I wasn't sure that the weatherman was right. <laughs> but it turns out he was. <laughs> Sometimes he is. Um, I was thinking about uh, recently whether, and actually talking to someone yesterday about this, um, whether COVID is good or bad. And um, I feel conflicted about it, I guess, uh, is, is what I need to say. Because on the one hand, uh, COVID has, like, wreaked havoc on our economy, and it's destroyed people's livelihood, and it's caused illness and death for some people, and, uh, and that's horrible. And it's also spawned fear and anxiety for countless billions of people, if you think about the whole world being affected. Um, and it's a, uh, many people have experienced, uh, this in loneliness or in their inner issues coming out in different ways and they're faced with that. Um, many of us watch more TV than is good for us and also eat more snacks. And, uh, so we're all going to have to go on a diet after, but things maybe feel more confusing or complex. Um, and then on the other hand, also there's like some businesses that are doing really well. They're thriving. They're just these certain industries that that are doing well in this time. They have like record sales, and uh, you know it's really busy. And um, and I've noticed too in our neighborhood, there's all these families that are walking around that I've never seen before, and that they're neighborhood families because they walk by every evening. And you know the whole family, the dad's pushing the stroller, and the mom and the dog, and everyone's there. And um, and that seems good to me that families would do that when they haven't before. And maybe there's more dinners together. There's more family time there's uh, maybe for us anyway games nights that are happening more often and uh, I think there's fewer commuters up until recently anyway and uh, that means more time at home and people together and neighbors are getting to know each other in a, in a new and different way maybe and uh, we could also say there's you know more accessibility online and different for different companies and things and that's maybe a good thing too um, and things have become simpler in a way it really does focus you in on what's most important to you. And so I feel conflicted. I have these mixed emotions about it. I can think about it one way and kind of be grateful for some of these things and also then be really overwhelmed by the other things. And um, I feel like that even as we gather because we have to have all these protocols and like I can't just run up to you and hug you, but I want to. And so I feel conflicted. I feel like part of me just wants to be like, Forget it. I'm just hugging people. And then the other part of me is like, you're the pastor. You, you've set out protocols. You're not, you shouldn't do that. You know, and so I feel these, these mixed emotions, these mixed things happening inside of me. And today, our passage highlights the dilemma of not necessarily mixed emotions, but mixed motives. And the, the thing where there's two different things happening at the same time, and also what matters most. And uh, our sermon series is Philippians, so if you haven't been tuning in you should have been no and <laughs> uh, we're studying philippians this letter paul wrote to a church uh to christians just like us much like us uh in ancient greece and although he writes the words two thousand years ago if you've ever read it you'll find there's encouragement and hope in it for us today so paul is writing from prison and he's writing because he's well he's on trial because he's a christian 
and because of his faith and what he's done, how he stepped out. And he also has these enemies. And so that's kind of what's coming out today as we read. So I'll read it for you. Philippians chapter 1. It's just a few verses, 15 to 18. This is what it says. Paul writes, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy or rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Then he says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. See, the big idea is what matters most is that in every way, Jesus is made known. In every way, Jesus is made known. I've got to have stuff on my papers. This is being outdoors and talking. <laughs> All right, sermon's cut short today. <laughs> I, I've noticed a strange phenomenon since COVID started with my, with my kids. Well, just a few of my kids, actually. Um, I call it, I titled this phenomenon The Circling Boys. And it's a, it's a phenomenon I've noticed with a certain preteen boy in our house, who I'm going to not name, and another teen boy in my house they may be here they may not be and that this is the phenomenon i've noticed i've noticed that um around evening so after dinner like other people are getting ready for bed and i've noticed that these boys come and they circle around me and they'll say things like hey dad do you need any help with that and i'll be like well thanks yeah i actually do like i'm working on this thing yeah come on and help me and then they'll start helping and 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 then I suddenly get this moment, and it, and it happens too. I'll walk into the living room, and that they'll have cleaned up the entire living room. It will be spotless, like everything that was a mess. They're just they cleaned it up, and then they're sitting on the couch, and they've got these bright looks on their faces. And I'll I'll look at them, and then they'll be like, "Hi, Dad." And there's this moment, and I'm like, "Wow, why did you do this?" And then I realize what's happening, and it's that they want extra TV time or treats. And so they know that if there's a mess, they're not, that's not going to happen. Or if I'm busy doing something, so they come and help me. So, so I realized they have a mixed motive. They, they want this thing, but they're helping me to do something. And so I could, be, I could be annoyed about it, but I realized I don't care. I don't care. I'm like, you clean the living room so great. You want to come help me? Great. I don't actually really care what your motive is right now because I'm getting help and the living room's getting cleaned or the dish rack's getting emptied. It's awesome. And this is kind of what Paul says about preaching the gospel in this passage. There are people who don't like him. People who don't like him. Like, I want everyone to like me. That's like a, a deep, probably an issue I have, but I want people to like me. There are people who don't like Paul, and it's not just there's places where it talks about the Jewish community not liking Paul because of his message, but there are these are Christian people in the church who don't like Paul, and they're working against him. That's what he says. He says it's true. Some preach Christ out of envy or rivalry, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. And I think, like, my first thought is, how can you be in more trouble than chains? You're in jail. How can it be worse for you than that? 
But the truth is there is a worse because he's awaiting trial. And so the the emperor is going to make a decision. He's going to decide whether Christians are a problem and he's going to execute Paul. Or he's going to decide maybe Christians, I don't care about Christians and I'll let him go. Or maybe I'm not sure and we'll just leave him in jail. So there's things that could happen based on what's happening outside of the prison that could create problems for Paul. But people are sharing Jesus. And Paul says it's out of envy, rivalry, and selfish ambition. And this seems a bit weird to me. I, I was thinking about how weird that seems to me. Like, is that even, how can that even be a thing? Preaching Jesus out of selfish ambition? And then I realized, I thought of te- um, televangelists. And back in the day, anyway, if you, re- if you remember this, back where it was like Jim and Tammy Baker or some of those well-known televangelist people, and they were like, they had these huge, thriving ministries, and they were on TV, and then it's like it all comes crashing down when you find out they had this whole other life where they're spending all this money on jets and all sorts of cars and everything else. And so then I realized, oh, well, that's like, that's very much like this. Those people at some point loved Jesus and were preaching a message about Jesus, but they also loved other things. They loved in this case, money, or maybe they loved ambition. And so there's this mixture of things happening. Now, for me, I think, well, that's not okay. I'm trying to be altruistic. I'm trying to have the purest motive possible whenever I do anything. It's like I'm trying to hone it down to the very right way of of being and thinking when I do something. And so I, you know, that's my heart in it. But as I think about everything I do, and, you know, preaching might be an example this morning, is like I create this sermon, I, I spend time crafting it, and my heart is that you would be encouraged, that you would understand the Bible maybe a little bit better, that, that you would leave loving Jesus more and wanting to follow him more. And so that's a motive I have as I preach the sermon. But I also want to do it well. I want to do it well, and I want you know, on some level, I want people to say that they were encouraged and that it went well. And so I'm looking on some level for praise from people. And then not only that, but I I want that to happen regularly. I want people to say, you know, John is a good preacher most of the time. Like most of the time he does a great job. That's kind of a thing that I'm looking for. And as I think about that, it's like, yeah. And and as I, I become known for doing a good job, preaching well, then I also think, well, then people will want me to speak in other places, and then maybe I'll end up on the conference tour, and I'll, and then I'll need to write a book, and then I'll become famous. And, and it's like, you go down this, and you're like, oh, that's really bad. Wow, like, what a bad motive, right? But, but it's mixed. And, you know, I'm telling you this, but I don't necessarily talk about it a lot. What's one of my motives for everything? But you know, too, if you look at your motives for something in your heart, that it's mixed a lot of the time. Our motives are mixed. I'm pretty sure that I don't do anything purely out of just pure love and goodwill. There's usually some other thing happening there for me, too. And I'm sure that I've shared the good news more from feeling guilty that I wasn't sharing the good news than for any other reason. And then I think about it, and then I feel guilty for thinking that. And and so it's this nasty spiral. So there's a relief for me in Paul's declaration that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. C.S. Lewis says this. He says, The New Testament has a lot to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ, 
and nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains an appeal to desire. He's saying it's not just about sacrifice yourself and just have the purest motive. It's like there's always some appeal to some deeper desire for us as we sacrifice, as we step out. Paul won't overthink the motivation. In the end, we're all a, a bundle of mixed motives. And the goal is that the gospel is preached in every way. There's a story about a Texan who, um, as all Texans do, they do everything really big. And so he has a big house and a big property, and he's got a big pool, a bunch of big pools. And one of the things he wants to do during his big parties is he wants to do something really big. And so he had a big shark put in his one big pool, salt water, and he decided that at every party he was going to put this out to everyone. And so he'd say, well, got this shark in the pool, and if you want to jump in and swim to the other side, I'll give you $10 million or... I'll give you 50% of my stocks, or I'll give you my daughter's hand in marriage. And, of course, everyone looked at the big shark, and no one jumped in the pool. And so, you know, party after party, this happened. And one, finally, one party, one dark night, the music was pumping. People are drinking, laughing, and suddenly there's a splash. And people turn, and they look, and there's a guy in the pool, and the shark is making a beeline for him, and he's swimming like an Olympian, just gunning for the end. He's just flying down the pool, the shark <laughs> coming after him, and he's swimming, swimming, the shark <laughs> biting at his heels, and he jumps out of the pool, leaps out of the pool onto the side, and the shark <laughs> jumps, misses him just by seconds. And the Texan guy comes over. Everyone crowds around him, and they, he says, well, no one's ever done that before, but you should have that $10 million. Is that what you'd like? And the guy says, no. He says, well, so you want 50% of my stocks then? No, the guy says. He says, all right, you can have my daughter's hand in marriage, but you better ask her for it. And the guy says, no. He says, well, then what do you want? I just want the name of the guy who pushed me in. Is he disqualified because of why he swam the length? He's not. He... he got in the pool, and he swam to the end and got out with a shark. He's entitled to all the things that he should win. Why he did it wasn't for those things. It was just to survive. But it doesn't disqualify him. In fact, many of us would be disqualified on that basis if it was about why. Our heavenly reward would be taken away because we wanted it. We'd get to heaven and be like, God, I just sacrificed my whole life, and and now I'm here. It's so great. I, I, and I've been looking forward to that heavenly reward. What? You were looking forward to the heavenly reward? That's why you did everything? Well, it's taken away now. How selfish of you. Greedy gut. Right? It's like that do, it's not, doesn't work like that. Our, our reward is a picture of what we're looking toward. Again, C.S. Lewis says this. If there lurks in most modern minds the notion that to desire our own good or earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing, I submit this notion is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Paul makes this clear. The important thing is that in every way, 
from whether from false motives or true, he says, Christ is preached. That's why we aren't competing with the church down the street. If they're doing well, we're doing well. And even if they were competing with us, even if they said, we are going to be better than that Jubilee church, we heard about them, and you know, they're a great church, they're awesome church, they're so great, we're going to be even better than them. That was a little plug for Jubilee. And we're going to do better than them. I would say, who cares? What, they're going to compete with loving this city more? Or they're going to compete with sharing the good news message with people who've never heard it? Or they're going to compete doing acts of service and loving kindness? Or they're going to compete to welcome the lost into their communities? I'd be like, good. Yeah, go for it. Do it. The important thing is that the happy news goes out in our lives and around us, that the news that God loves us, that he's redeeming everything broken, that the cross is made away and that Jesus is alive and that you can be changed and you can be whole and you can find hope in him. I met someone this week who said to me, oh, I'm not good at sharing the gospel. And I was like, oh, and it was in a whole long conversation. And throughout the conversation, this person had been sharing about how they were able to help some different people in the community give financially to those people. And then also in the world, they were supporting these different people and, you know, doing all these different things. And they, d at different points, shared all these things. And I, we got to that point, I was like, y you don't know how to share the gospel, but you're living the gospel. And instead of beating yourself up, it's like, no, this is, this is about both these things. We're not just saying words, we're living them. So, Yes, you need to learn what to say or what the message is. And I would encourage you, you know, if you don't know the message of the, ha of the happy news or the gospel, whatever, we, whatever term we put on it, if, we, if you didn't know how to answer someone who said, you know, what does Jesus matter? I'd say we should, we should know what to say. We should, maybe we should figure out what that looks like or how I would answer that question. And yet, it's also about how you live this message in your interactions and your language and your life. It's not one or the other, but both. The gospel in every way. And then Paul, he says, uh, he talks about rejoicing. And so I was thinking about what brings us joy. And so I'm going to ask you, and I'd like you to participate since we're a small group today. You can participate. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna put it to you in a second. What brings you joy? And maybe it's something that you've you've experienced in COVID that's brought you joy this time, or maybe it's something that you've lost that you were like that used to bring me joy, and now I'm really missing it. So it could be something like that too. Um, and so I'll give you mine first, and then I'll ask you. So one of the things I found has brought me joy during this time is is renovations. So working in our house and fixing things and, and making things new, things that were ugly or broken or worn out, making it new. And there's this real sense of joy that I take in it, and I see in myself that I'm growing and changing as I experience these things, and also I get to see something else become new and grow and change, transformed. And so I'm taking a lot of joy in that. So what about for you guys? What's something that's brought you joy in this time? It doesn't have to be like, overtly spiritual but just something that's as you think about your life has brought you joy or that you've missed anyone tennis being with dad nice 
Miriam, smile. FaceTime. Yeah. Okay, flowers in the spring. Oh, having a sleepover with grandma and grandpa, that's very special. Lots of joy in that. What else? What's brought you joy? Living with your grandchildren, yeah. Not not being separated. <laughs> yeah, that's very special. Your kids <laughs> usually, mostly, most of the time, yeah. Lots of joy there. That's good. And we need joy. We, we need a reason to rejoice, and especially when times are hard, do we realize how much we need joy because when it's missing or we feel it the heaviness of, of life or the world we say i i need i'm longing for joy and to be happy or experience this this deep joy and this is paul's joy he says because of this i rejoice he says that limited and restricted in prison his joy is the gospel advancing his joy is that it's bearing fruit all over the world, he says in Colossians. He knows this because he knows Jesus. See, he has this joy in the happy news. Not only that it's out there, but that it's changing him, transforming him, saving him, and that it's true for every willing heart. I mean, that's an amazing message that we have. Every willing heart. Jesus says, everyone who's willing, I will come in and transform them. Everyone who invites me opens the door. I will come in and change him. It doesn't matter your race or gender or demographic or locale or your past history. Jesus is changing people. Now, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. And so one of the blessings of sharing and living the gospel is joy. And so I would counsel you encourage you that if you are lacking joy if you would say my life is really just joyless then one of the ways that you could enter into joy is to share the happy news to live it among people who don't know it and this is a proper motivating reward so there are proper rewards for things that we would say okay yeah that makes sense like we would say if you were loving someone for their money and you were hoping for the money at the that we would say that's wrong you shouldn't love someone for the money that's a not a good reward for love but if you were loving someone and you wanted to enter into marriage as a reward for love we would say well that makes sense love leads to marriage that's a proper reward for love and i stole all this from c.s lewis by the way and he says uh that if you were fighting for something, if you were fighting for, like, medals or position, we would kind of say, well, that's kind of, that's wrong, that's mercenary or something. But if you were fighting for victory, we would say, well, that's a proper reward for the fight. You, you fight for victory. That's like, that makes sense. And in the same way, so too is living the gospel, a, a reward of it is joy. That as we live the gospel, joy would be the outcome of it. To proclaim it in your life and in your speech is to find joy. Now, you might have it feel a little bit like a duty at first. Like, okay, i got to learn what the gospel is and write it down. i got to try to memorize it. And it might feel like an obligation a little bit, maybe. And then the it's meant to become a joy. And as you do it and as you express it, as you live it, 
suddenly you find there's joy there for you. The goal is that we too could take joy in this gospel proclaimed in every way. And so in conclusion, what matters most is that Jesus is made known in every way. Paul's enemies or his detractors are people of mixed motives, and it seems like Paul doesn't care. They make trouble for him, and he rejoices in it. He just cares that the happy news is in every way made known, that Jesus is made known, and in this he takes joy. And we are people of mixed motives. And so, or at least I am. And so this is good news for me and maybe for you if you're like me. And so I'll encourage you, if you're like me, that you could let go of the paralyzing motive checker that will freeze you. <gasps> I don't know if I, my motive is pure enough to do this thing. It's like, let go of it. Just do it. Love and live. And speak out of love. And the gospel goes out in every way. This is the invitation, that living the happy news of Jesus would transform us our living, our speaking, our interactions, our relationships. And people around us would know. They would know that this is who we are. And one of your reasons might be for joy. And that's good. To find it, to experience it, this elusive joy that we're always looking for. You can find it as you respond to and share this happy news that Jesus has come and made a way for us. Would you pray with me?